I invite you to remain standing as we hear this morning's gospel lesson. It comes from the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. It reads, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. My father, my dad, worked for John Deere for about 40 years. He certainly lived into one honorable trait of his generation in which his company was very loyal to him, and he was very loyal to his company. I grew up with John Deere stuff everywhere around our house. When he retired at the age of 64 in 2018, he had worked for John Deere Company for about 63% of his life and almost 100% of his adult life. I was able to see a beauty of loving what you do, being passionate about what you do, and especially being passionate about the product that you work with. Though very different fields, perhaps pun intended, I tried to take aspects of what I learned from my dad and the way he treated his career and bring them into ministry. For all of my life, my dad serviced a regional territory for John Deere, it changed from time to time, but it was for most of my life, ironically compared to our Alabama West Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, mostly the southern half of Alabama and the panhandle of Florida. He would pick up areas of South Georgia or Mississippi from time to time, but for the most part, that was his zone, and he knew it. Our family lived in the part of the territory that made the most sense, which for the entirety of my childhood and teenage years was here in Montgomery. There were any number of factors for this, being all over the place, proximity to interstate, centralized location, and such. My dad worked in agriculture, and so the majority of his work was done in rural parts of the state but we lived in the city, here. This sometimes gave me a special privilege to have a foot in both worlds. Most days, I would sit in traffic here in the city, 
But some days I could sit on a tractor with my dad. Most days I could go to my suburban neighborhood park or pool. But some days I could go to a tractor expo or a fair in Clanton or Brundage or any number of the cities and towns he worked in. What I probably came to learn was that this experience gave me enough knowledge to run a piece of machinery and perhaps get myself into trouble on a farm, but it probably didn't give me enough knowledge to be overly effective or helpful on a farm. Maybe the most practical thing that it did for me, at least for today though, was that I found that it gave me a level of appreciation and comfort when reading parts of the gospel where Jesus goes into some sometimes random agrarian interludes, sayings, or parables. For example, the last few verses today where Jesus is using figures of speech that center around yokes. Jesus pops in stories and parables involving first century agricultural references, sometimes more than we might realize. I've heard it said before that it can be challenging, if not impossible, to understand the entirety of the gospel story without educating yourself at least a little bit on first century Middle Eastern agriculture. In fact, the rest of the lectionary gospel lessons throughout the month of July contain allusions to agriculture or agrarian life. Today, it is a yoke. The next couple weeks of gospel readings in the lectionary are about sowing seeds and plants. Then the next week is about mustard seeds, treasures hidden in fields, and even mix in a little bit of fishing. For us, here in this season of the year, it can be like having one foot in city life, and then here in the lectionary in July, we get a chance to put our foot into agricultural life and see how Jesus can use examples from such an important part of life in our world to teach us about life in the kingdom of heaven. Before we get too much into the agricultural ending to the passage, it's important that we look at what might be the most recognizable and comforting pieces in the entirety of this passage and really in Matthew's gospel. Come to me. All you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It sounds so elegant, so peaceful, and it is. We are all carrying around heavy burdens in our life that feel especially heavy. Those with which we would love to be given rest, and for that, this is an overwhelming word of comfort. But it is important that we look deeper into these words and see that they are more powerful than just being the primary feature of a sign we might buy at a home goods store. The phrase that is translated in this passage as heavy burdens appears only one other time in the Gospels. It is another time in Matthew, and it's in chapter 23, to be specific. It is once again a time in which Jesus is speaking to a group of people. This time, Jesus is speaking of the scribes and Pharisees. 
and says that they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others. The scribes and Pharisees preach and teach with their seemingly astute brilliance the 613 laws of the Old Testament. And they teach in ways that might seem to be somewhat hypocritical, that breaking any of them makes one unclean. This is the pressure that Jesus' first listeners feel that they are being told to live into. A pressure in which there is this endless attention paid to making sure that they remain clean or in proper standing. A sense in which people constantly worked to make sure that they stayed within the law. A frustrating situation considering that many of the laws, by the time it got to Jesus' day, did not seem to anyone to make the world a better place. Some of the heavy burdens that they may have been carrying, the ones that Jesus is giving rest from, are the burdens of rules and legalisms that only seem to cause a strain on the people and don't seem to make for stronger relationships with God or with one another. Jesus is encouraging the people that he knows that people are carrying exceedingly heavy burdens and that faithful discipleship and fulfillment of the law does not mean excessive religious burdens for burden's sake, but it means that we come to Christ and Christ is there to give us rest. From there, Jesus expounds upon this imagery of the yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is using imagery here tied deeply to an agricultural practice of the day. Though I like to think that my upbringing with my dad gave me an above-average knowledge of agricultural technology, at least for someone that lived in the city, Late 20th century farm, American farming technology, or maybe at least what I saw of John Deere, did not much use yokes, at least in the way that Jesus is talking about. The tractor and the gas-powered engine really did change and reshape our contemporary view and understanding of farming, both for experienced farmers as well as the people that know little to nothing about farming. That said... I would wonder how many people in here have heard these verses for years, perhaps your entire lives, but you aren't entirely sure you know exactly what a yoke is. Some of you may even have this on decor in your house because of the beauty and comfort that it brings without the total understanding of what it means. In fact, and maybe someone can relate, when I was little, and I heard this verse, I remember thinking and wondering, why is Jesus comparing himself to eggs? Like the mustard seed, and hopefully I'm not alone in that, like the mustard seed and the mustard plant, this illustration might be unfamiliar to us because it is not something that we see as often, which is okay. Different illustrations in different times and places connect with different people based off of their context and what they know. 
But like I said earlier, it can be tough to understand parts of the gospel message without understanding some basics of first century Middle Eastern agriculture. In conversation with Jason, in fact, earlier in the week about yokes, an exhilarating conversation, <laughs> I, I realized that I had a small misunderstanding about how they worked. So I made sure to research more completely an understanding of what a yoke is. So what is a yoke? This might be new info for some or a refresher for others. A yoke is a simple but innovative piece, innovative piece of equipment. Typically, at least at the time, a wooden beam or something like it that is used most often by a pair of animals to give the animals the capability of pulling a load together. The most common animals that yokes are or were utilized for were oxen, horses, you might hear ox yoke, oxen, horses, mules, and probably most common in Jesus's context, donkeys. The two animals were often yoked together to pull wagons, chariots, and carriages, but likely most often, at least for everyday folk, animals were yoked together to pull farming equipment, like a plow or other pieces of equipment that helped making, make farm processes more efficient. Yokes hold two animals together. A yoke, uh, two animals yoked to, together don't really have much license for wandering or separating. When two animals are yoked together, there is not really an opportunity where one of them is working and the other is not, but they are either both working or both not working. They're held together, and they're held together tightly, unified in their endeavor. That is the sentiment, or at least the background, when two individuals getting married are said to be equally yoked. Another phrase that I think it's said, and a lot of us just nod our heads. It means that the two people are perfect partners set to work together to move life forward, to pull a plow together. They are not perfect. The equally yoked people are not able to be broken apart. With the animals being yoked together, they aren't really given much choice. But when we are talking about yoking here in the way that Jesus is talking about it, it is a bit more of an opportunity for participation in the yoke through relationship with Jesus. There really is something beautiful about the yoke that Jesus offers us in the analogy. There are yokes for different numbers of animals than just two, but I believe it to be fair to say that the most common and most familiar in terms of yokes are yokes where there are two participants. A two-animal yoke does not really work if there is only one animal. You need both. This might make us wonder if we are to accept the yoke that Jesus is offering us, who is occupying the second spot beside us? 
Sometimes I love Jesus's parables and figures of speech because it gives us the opportunity to really think about a number of possibilities that could be in play. Someone could say that a member of the church is yoked beside you. You could play on that analogy much like our sanctuary here. If you look at the ceiling, our sanctuary is an upside-down boat. And that is because we are a symbol that we are all held in this boat together. Continuing down with the analogy down to the pews that you're sitting in would fit the analogy as well. You may have never noticed, but they are situated like a rowing team. Because a rowing team is rowing together and working together. In that reading and understanding, you could say that we are yoked to one another in our church family, and to lead forward, we have no choice but to work together. This week, though, I have been drawn to another way of reading and hearing Jesus' words. I feel comfort this day that Jesus is not as much the driver of the yoked animals here, and the driver of the plow or whatever we're pulling, but that Jesus has offered us the yoke and gets in it next to us. The rest that we are granted from our heavy burdens is not because our burdens go away, but it's because we're not carrying them alone anymore. We have rest because with Jesus by our side, And walking with us, the plow of our burdens is not as heavy because we have a helper. Being yoked together with Jesus, we have that opportunity to do as he says in verse 29 and learn from him. There are some things that we are better off learning how to do by helping someone that knows what they're doing than we are reading a book on how to do it and trying to learn ourselves. Youth mission team, for example, I think to the wonderful adventure and opportunity for learning that you all are about to be on. Most of what I've learned about anything kind of construction or building, I learned on mission trips. Not because I read anything or figured it out, but because someone on the trip knew what they were doing and showed others. Last year on the Costa Rica mission trip, Richard Connor and I stuccoed a bunch of walls. Neither of us really knew how to use stucco or do anything with stucco, but we had a stucco master that showed us the way. Similarly, we learn from Jesus by walking and working yoked beside him. Jesus shows us the way. Jesus' yoke is easy, but it's still a yoke. We still have the responsibility of following Jesus' lead and carrying our share. We may not have the burden of the laws of the scribes and Pharisees, but we do carry a yoke of responsibility to love God and to love one another and to share that love and teaching that Jesus has taught us with others. It is important to remember this, especially in this conversation, that our burdens in life don't simply disappear in this case. 
but that the Christ that sacrificed himself is carrying them with us. There are people in our church right now carrying what seem to be impossibly heavy burdens. Burdens of the death of a loved one. Those are heavy, and they don't just go away. Burdens of extended hospital stays. Those are heavy, and they don't just go away. Burdens of uncertainty as to unexpected turns of life. Those are heavy, and they don't just go away. But what we find out is those heavy burdens are not meant to be carried alone. But Christ invites us beside him, and that through his love, Christ and the church help to give each of us rest by carrying our heavy burdens with us. A heavy burden is lighter when more people are carrying it. So whatever is weighing us down, May our hope be renewed in the knowledge that we have a God that is willing to walk beside us, be yoked to us, and help lighten the load. Jesus' yoke is easy because Jesus wears it with us. Jesus' burden is light because he carries it with us. Be assured that whatever is weighing you down, You are loved by God, and you are loved by this church. Whatever burden is weighing you down, may we come together and bring it to Christ. And may that knowledge of Christ beside us give each of us rest. To the glory of God. Amen.